Welcome to the Bucket Problem. We're done counting episodes. I am your host, Ace Ambender. Joining me today, the entire crew, the Bucket, Alex Cook, the Problem, Connor Southern, and Dan, who is both a Bucket and Problematic. Um, I may have had that pre-planned, but I think that's how we're doing the show from now on. Um, uh, this should be a pretty uh, upbeat one because... Uh, Michigan thrashed Wisconsin 38-17 in a game that wasn't that close and felt like the 2006 Penn State game. Uh, And uh, there are some things happening in Dublin, Ohio and Jacksonville, Florida that uh, we may want to talk about a little bit. So uh, before we get into our big moods of the week, uh, everyone, just how are you all feeling? Feeling pretty good. Michigan's sitting at five and zero in the top ten, and yeah, heading. I'm going to be heading to Nebraska for the game this weekend, so hopefully they can keep it rolling. Damn, Alex has been uh, extremely committed. We have a uh, mutual friend of ours who flies a little plane, so I'm going to be flying on the little plane out there. So really looking forward to that. Should be fun. He actually took that out for the uh, Jordan Poole game in Kansas before. I went with him to the Final Four on that little plane. So. Yeah, going to be fun. All right, that that plan has brought some good tidings. Uh, Dan, how you doing, man? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is like the, the swing of football season here is like really, you know, my favorite time of the year. Um, just like, you know, we're getting to getting football like four days a week. Um, my girlfriend absolutely hates it. She's <laughs> uh, she's like, she's like, again, like, how is there? It's Thursday. I thought this wasn't one of the days. She can't learn the schedule. Um, and uh, she's so, a Purdue fan. She used to know that like weekday games exist. Uh, <laughs> look, she she tries to stay away. Like I try to turn the Purdue game on to like you know be like fair and and just like like hey like Purdue's playing. She's like I don't I don't want this. I don't want to watch this right <laughs> that's now. Also, fair. Um, that's, yeah. that's that's a knowledgeable uh, seasoned Purdue fan right there. <laughs> um, but you know yeah yeah it's 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 going great. I mean you know all good vibes right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I mean, how, how can you not be having fun? This is the, this is the best time of the year. It's, it's big 10 football season, baby. And, uh, and football staying in the news cycle, uh, seven days a week these days. Uh, Connor, how are you doing tonight, man? I just want to say that when you grow up in Wyoming, as I did, you learn that Nebraska and its people are despicable. The absolute worst <laughs> oh, state. good. We're leaning in. Yes. <laughs> and... Like my most of my experience with Nebraska is of two things: either driving through it in the summer when it's sweltering and flat and completely redemptionless, uh, or going to really smelly agricultural towns that are even worse to run track meets uh, when it was also hot. Uh, the entire state sucks, and so I hope Michigan goes there and steals all of their corn. I love it. Um, it, it this is going to be an aggressive podcast. We're 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 just we're just starting off. Uh, with a bang here and so let's try to do that with dan uh because that, that's the direction i look at uh for the, this kind of mood uh dan uh what is your big mood of the week after michigan beats wisconsin 38 17 and some other things happen <laughs> yeah so i mean you know my mood i i think going into the game uh i felt that uh um I, I, I would say that, like, the rational part of my brain was like, man, I could really just see them laying an egg here. It was feeling a little bit foreboding, just the way the Rutgers game ended, even though the season as a whole had, you know, they looked good for most of it. Um, I was still kind of like, I'm like, this is going to be, like, an, they, they might win, but it's going to be, like, ugly and annoying, and no one's going to be happy with it. Um, and uh, they pleasantly su- surprised me, um, which, uh, you know, was... 
um, awesome and, and felt good and uh, is probably the first time that this team has pleasantly surprised me since like damn um oh well i guess i guess 2019 with notre dame they they, they pleasantly surprised but that was fun. yeah like this this was the most fun that i had watching a game since then for sure um so yeah i mean i got to watch my brother um who I was visiting for the weekend and, and it, it was it was just really a lot of fun um you know i think there's there's definitely things that you know i don't think this is a perfect team by any means but you know just being pleasantly surprised and and uh, having fun watching football, it's it's all good vibes, which is is leaving me feeling very um, emotionally exposed because I'm now uh, involuntarily, you know, very invested in in the in the rest of the season. <laughs> well, thankfully, you know, getting your hopes up has never uh, backfired before on a podcast that we've done together. Uh, Alex, um, I, th- I think you've got a slightly stronger mood than than Dan's, uh, so unleash it. Yeah, right now the the strongest mood that I'm feeling is fear and apprehension that my dog will once again destroy my living room. Um, after last week's podcast, I walked out and found that she had torn up some of my favorite houseplants, spread dirt all over the place, and just was a general menace. So crossing my fingers that Stella doesn't do that again. But, but as the, for... The show gets people really worked up sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was really excited to hear me talking um, in the other room <laughs> and just got incredibly angry or something. Or maybe just she just wanted to have some fun and she was bored. I don't know. Um, she doesn't speak English, but anyways, my mood <laughs> as it know. pertains to Michigan football is confidence. So I love to see, and I know Connor's going to touch on this a little bit. I love to see, um, Jim Harbaugh come out with an aggressive game plan in terms of, um, you know, going forward on fourth down quite fre- uh, frequently, which led to a couple touchdowns, you know, as opposed to, you know, playing turtle ball and figuring, okay, well, our defense can dominate Wisconsin's offense. Um, it felt like the team was confident and yeah, I'm feeling some confidence as a fan too. Like, uh, before the season, it was kind of an open question what Michigan would look like. I think it's safe to say that pretty much nobody expected them to contend for a conference title or anything. But, you know, a little over a month into the season, they're 5-0, and solidly a top 25 team, very possibly a top 10 quality team. And, yeah, just good vibes all around. I think um, it's a way more complete football team than I expected. Like, the defensive line has been very impressive. Um even the secondaries held up well. I think uh, Cade McNamara really proved against Wisconsin, and we can get into this later, but I think he really proved that he can manage the game and make the throws that you need to make when the opponent takes the, uh, the runaway. So, yeah, all things considered, feeling pretty good, feeling, you know, like a solid 9-10 type win season at worst at this point, which was you know, way better than my season prediction of 7-5. and five. Yeah, I think Michigan has... Uh pretty well exceeded all of our season predictions at this point. I'm, I'm not sure anybody had a 5-0 and start here. Um, Connor, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I realized as I was saying that that I was about to turn to our resident optimist and get that thrown right back in my face. <laughs> so uh, let's go, Connor. What's your big mood? Uh, so I will say that I think 5-0 and is probably beyond what I would have predicted just because I think it would have been reasonable to imagine Michigan losing to either Washington or Wisconsin. Uh, so the fact that they're 5-0 and does exceed my predictions. I will say I was the one who said 9-3, and and I was the one that said this team was actually pretty talented, and I'm feeling good about those statements um, and hoping we can do better than 9-3, and and I think there's a very good chance we can. But my actual big mood is this is the Jim Harbaugh we all wanted, Right. Because if you go back to those Stanford teams, yeah, they were fairly old-fashioned on offense, or very old-fashioned. I mean, they went really <laughs> heavy a lot of the time, and, and you've seen some of that this year. 
And, you know, last game we saw a lot of old-fashioned things. I think that Flea Flicker, which is like maybe our favorite play of the year, as far as I know, that could have been in the playbook when Jim Harbaugh was in college, right? Like that's not... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing new Classic school about that. Classic trick play, yeah. Yeah, it's an old-school trick play, but it worked, right? Like I don't care what you do as long as you trick the defense and execute. Um, I'm waiting so, for the transcontinental. They've got to do it. They've got to do it. Yeah, I mean... Whatever it is, like, I think the, the main point here is just, like, it doesn't matter whether you're running a spread or pro style or what the heck you're doing. If the team is sharp, if they can play with a degree of tempo, which they've been doing, if they're playing with confidence, like Alex alluded to, and if the tone is being set by the head coach, being bold and aggressive, going forward on fourth downs, we all love that. Um, so it's, like, it's fine to be old school and prefer to physically dominate teams if you do it with an edge that isn't just like performance, but it's actually you're building that in practice and your team's buying into it and they're playing that way and they're doing it sharply, right? Like those old Stanford teams, those were sharp teams. They weren't penalized a lot. Um, they believed in what they were doing and they, you know, I think you're seeing that with this Michigan team, which has been a hallmark of the best moments of the Harbaugh era um, when the team has just looked sharp, aggressive, believes they can beat anyone, believes they can physically dominate anyone. And we haven't seen that prior till prior to recently until uh, you know we had flashes of it in 2019 in the Notre Dame game. We saw some of it in 2016 and 2018. Um, but I honestly think that even if the game results had been roughly the same, I think Jim Harbaugh would be much looked upon much more fondly in general by Michigan fans if he had exuded this kind of energy and had gotten his team to have this kind of old school edge to it more often. So. Hats off to Jim. Uh, whatever he's doing is working, and this is the guy I want coaching the team right now. Yeah, and that, that combining that old school edge with uh, the Matt Weiss speared, it seems uh, analytics approach to fourth downs. Uh, it's a bit of old and new that uh, works very well together, and doesn't. I mean, those don't conflict. It it just kind of adds to the Harbaughness. I think it's it kind of his maximum Harbaugh is just like yeah, we're gonna. We're gonna aim for third and one. For we're gonna aim for fourth and one, so that we can smash it in your face. Is, I mean, it might not be the ideal way to run offense, and I don't think that's exactly how they're approaching it. I don't think they're trying to get a yard short of the sticks, but it's fun to watch. Um, yeah, I think Jim Harbaugh subbing in the five-star backup QB on fourth and goal and running a QB sneak like that's very Harbaugh to me in a way that I can't maybe exactly explain. But the combination of yeah aggressiveness. Um, you know, really just trying to, to blow people off the ball and then, yeah, using a, a talented quarterback <laughs> as a battering ram. Seems very Harbaugh. It did evoke, like, some Harbaugh at Stanford, like, all right, we've got the wire cam, like, set up over the line of scrimmage so that we can see, like, every lineman, and there are seemingly, like, 16 of them in the game somehow, uh, just slam into each other, and you're going to watch Michigan move these guys a yard off the ball. Yeah, got to give a little, got to give a little bit of credit to uh, Trevor Keegan for getting the secondary push on McCarthy to get the bush push style touchdown mm-hmm. on that one. Yeah, there was uh there was movement from both the uh, the line and um, the guys behind the line who may have also been linemen, uh, which was wonderful. Uh, my big mode of the week is just the levels of, I mean, there's nothing else to call it other than violence that uh, Michigan uh, put on, I would say, Wisconsin as a whole, and especially their quarterback. Um, Pro Football Focus, uh, according to Zach Shaw on Twitter, um, put together a stat that Michigan 
recorded 29 uh, hits, hurries, or sacks on Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin dropped back 29 times. Uh, so, and, and I've gone back and watched the game, and I would say there was maybe one or two of those that were generous. There's specifically one that I uh, put in the newsletter this week on www.thebucketproblem.com. Um that shows uh, backup quarterback Chase Wolf just uh, running out of a very clean pocket. But that is also what happens uh, when you're expecting to get hit every time you stand in the pocket. Uh, so this felt to me like the 2006 Penn State game, as I mentioned before, um, the uh, the game that features the infamous uh, Alan Branch hit on Anthony Morelli. Um, and that run in 2016 when Michigan kept, uh, you know, not by any dirty play, but just by constantly getting to the quarterback and hitting them. Um, they kept knocking the starting quarterback out of the game or just knocking them out because they were ineffective. Um, and I want to read this Chase Winovich quote from after the 2016 Maryland game because this is what this game felt like to me, and it is also one of the most ruthless post-game quotes I've ever read in my life. Um, quote, It's a violent game. Nobody makes it out alive. Nobody's safe in this game, especially if you're playing quarterback against us. We're coming. I hope Perry has a speedy recovery. <laughs> <laughs> that is a reference to Perry, Perry Hills, the former Maryland quarterback who uh, got knocked out of that game. <laughs> and he was Shout like, out to his know. family. Yeah. <laughs> the juxtaposition yeah. there between we want to hurt these guys as much as we can, and you know I hope that this guy isn't too hurt is is very football. Like I think that is just part of how the game works. And yeah, Dax Hill knocked out Wisconsin's starting quarterback and best skill position player, their tight end, with two huge legal hits and I feel like it's kind of unsavory to talk about but that you know does provide a huge a big competitive uh competitive advantage if you can knock out the other team's starting quarterback yeah it's not even a matter of like knocking the quarterback out of the game is that I mean whether whether or not you injure the guy which you, you you're not hoping for that um you're Moving that the quarterback off their spot, you're making them look down at the line instead of looking out at the receivers. You're you're making them check it down quickly. You're making them throw it off target. You're making them move their feet. Uh, there's, I mean, it, Graham Mertz, I, I went back and watched. He did not throw a pass with his feet set until well into the second quarter. <laughs> uh, like he, it just, uh, he was having even when he was surprisingly on the money, shockingly on the money uh in the second quarter there wasn't a time where it was where he could get comfortable in the pocket and i mean michigan hit him on the first play of the second half on an incomplete pass i believe and the uh, the second play that he dropped back to pass uh was dax hill uh, hitting him in the midsection and, and knocking him out of the game um but what we saw from chase wolf i think was what was more likely to be mertz's path for the rest of the game than what we saw from Mertz in the second quarter where he was throwing like inch perfect fades while taking Aiden Hutchinson in the ribs. Yeah. I mean, I, th that stuff does have just a tangible impact on the game. It's not even about like, you know, quote, you know, being physical or like being, you know, tough or whatever. It's it as a quarterback, like you have a very unenviable job of having to sit back there pretty much immobile and just, you know, wait, wait, either, either get a pass off or wait to be hit. 
And if you're hitting the quarterback every play, you know, I think it's, I think, I think Connor actually mentioned this in a, in a recent pod um, that Don Brown was right about, you know, like the stat that matters is QB hits. Like, how often are you getting there? How often are you putting them in the dirt? And it's that Michigan is doing that a lot right now, especially in this game. And it, it makes you like gun shy because as a quarterback, you don't see pressure, like you have to feel it. And if you're getting pressure all the time, then it turns into other things where, you know, like like Ace said, um, you're running out of clean pockets, like uh, kind of like we've seen many court- Michigan quarterbacks do um, <laughs> this, this decade. Um, and, you know, it's ruining plays because you don't trust your protection. So it's, it's a huge part of the game. And then especially with Dax Hill, like, if you're a receiver now, like you're watching film of uh, you're watching film of Michigan, and like you know that if you're coming across the middle, you have to expect that you're gonna get smacked, and like you don't know where it's coming from. Like it could be you know in any zone, and it's it it can be unnerving as an opposing player. So I think it it does have just an actual tangible impact on the game, and um, it's unfortunate that those guys got hurt. But I don't think any of the either of those plays were even reasonably considered, you know, dirty in any way. No, they, they, they were no, total, they were, total yeah, legal hits. Yeah, completely clean hits. And yeah, it does have a t- tangible effect on the game when Wisconsin has to turn to their backup quarterback in the in the third quarter. Yeah, I think also, and this might be better for a later segment, but I think it's interesting and really, really good for Michigan that Michigan arguably has elite uh, pass rush at all three levels of their defense, which is very rare. Because Dax Hill, in my mind, he's emerged as an elite pass rusher. Like, he did whiff on Noah Vidral against Rutgers, but he was there, right? He just missed the tackle. And then he was a terror in this game. And it's clear that Mike McDonald loves that safety blitz. I think he's had Hawkins do it some, too. Um, And Josh Ross is a very, very good blitzer as a middle linebacker. And then, I mean, right now, I I don't want to speak too soon, but, like, Aiden Hutchinson, arguably best edge rusher in the country, is at least very high up there. There are NFL draft people, you know, talking talking that. So you're not. I don't think you're going out too far on a limb there. No, and then but that's and then the really bad news if you're an opposing offense is David Ojabo is looking like a freaking problem out there right now. I mean, he's a Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. He had two and a half sacks and a forced fumble for the second week in a row. I mean, that's that's problem territory. So really have to pick your poison when it comes to Michigan's pass rush right now if you're in offense, and that is going to continue to shape what offenses do throughout the season in a way that's going to really play into Michigan's hands. Yeah, and to your point about uh, Dax and Brad Hawkins blitzing in from the secondary, um, there was one play where I think this was when Mertz was still in, but Michigan tried to time a blitz, and they it, they did time it almost perfectly. It was with, like, three or four seconds left on the play clock and Wisconsin didn't snap it right away, but they were so discombobulated that the backup center snapped it too high. Mertz wound up bobbling it and it kind of blew the blew up the play. Um, even before, you know, the blitz had a chance to, that was in the get first there. quarter. Yeah. Yikes. Wisconsin's <laughs> offensive line was bad. They were just bad. Like I know that it said Wisconsin on the jerseys, but, um, uh, Michigan yeah. made them look bad. I mean, yeah. this definitely isn't a classic Wisconsin line, uh, but but Michigan made them look uh, very discombobulated. Like, I, I don't disagree, Alex, that they're definitely down, especially on the edges. Their tackles are not, like, where they usually are. But I do think it's really important. Yeah, plus plus their starting center got poked in the eye during warm-ups and had to sit out the game. Like, that, <laughs> a, that is a big This was a really bad a game deal. for that to happen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. did that? I didn't know that happened. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Uh, I, I did not out. hear about that. That is, uh, okay, that's actually <laughs> very unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a bummer. That's that was a deeply, deeply unfortunate thing to happen to Wisconsin, particularly in a game where they were going to face, uh, you know, Mad Mike McDonald's blitzes here. Because, uh, like, uh, to Connor's point earlier about uh, Dax Hill being an exceptional blitzer from the second level, he uh, on the play where he knocked Marks out of the game. He does not turn to the quarterback or make any sort of indication that he's blitzing until after the ball is snapped. Uh, I mean, I noticed that in uh, putting the gift together because I was like expecting to, you know, see him start to tip it uh, before the snap. And uh, usually, I time usually I start gifts at the snap, and uh, I could do it on that play because he was at a dead standstill. Um, and uh, Brian Cook of Emco Blog pointed that out in his game column. Just the just the remarkable lack of a tip there. Um, and when Michigan is quote unquote tipping their blitzes, um, a lot of times it's with seven guys on the line and a couple of those guys are dropping out. But you're still getting the impact of that blitz because one side is getting overloaded and they're expecting. You know, it's just so hard to account for which of these guys is coming. Um, who even counts as a lineman or a linebacker, um, which was something that uh, Ian Boyd mentioned uh, in another piece on Emco Blog that we will, I think, discuss uh, in more detail later. Um, but uh, it, this just, it, I mean, and that, and that approach really allowed Michigan to just beat Wisconsin to hell in this game. And it was happening um, not just on defense, but on offense, too. I mean, Blake Corum, I swear to God, laid hits that were harder than anything Wisconsin did against Michigan in this game. Um, this was, you know, uh, the game Scott Frost spoke about after uh, 2015 UCF or whatever, um, 2016 UCF. Uh, th- this was uh, really setting a tone with the team's physicality, and that included the running game uh, and getting after the quarterback and uh you know, the first play that uh, Graham Mertz threw with his feet set was from his own end zone uh, right before getting hit by David Ojabo, and he completed it to Jake Ferguson, who then got smashed in the ribs by Dax Hill cleanly. Um, but uh, And Ferguson stayed in for one more play, um, got one more pass, and then checked himself out. Um, so, it, I mean, Michigan just ended this with uh, not just how well they played, but, and you know, what their scheme was, but just the force with which they executed it. And that was really fun to watch. And, and, um, while it, uh, was pretty violent, this is a, uh, rather violent sport. And, uh, hopefully you've come to terms with that. If you're a uh, college football fan. Um, yeah, I don't think at this point, if you're listening to the bucket problem, uh, podcast as a fan of football <laughs> that you would get too surprised that a quarterback might get sent to a, a hospital because of a bad hit. Something that actually yeah. happened to Michigan's starting quarterback um, a couple years ago in Madison, Brandon Peters. So mm-hmm. it's just part of the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad, but um, and I I really hope he is okay. Uh, he and Ferguson are both listed as questionable for the Illinois game, um, and uh, hope they're able to take the field. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of just uh, a good sign for the way that this defense approaches the future um the way they played this game and i mean the whole team uh just just the level of physicality 
uh, is something you see from very good teams. Um, before we get to uh, everything else, um, I should mention that this podcast is brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Please use the promo code BUCKETPROBLEM for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. They have a pretty spectacular uh, new Illinois shirt, Illinois State shirt that they dropped today uh, for National Teachers Day. Um, that's uh, not necessarily what you'd expect to come together for a really fire shirt, but uh, I promise you it looks great. Um, now, uh, refresh Michigan, you cowards. Um, <laughs> sorry to <laughs> our sponsors, but uh, sorry more for what's going to come later in this next segment because, yeah, we still have more to talk about from this game, uh, but then we're going to we're gonna talk about Urban Meyer uh, because uh, uh, I'm, like, almost jumping out of my skin here wanting to talk about this Urban Meyer situation. We are showing tremendous restraint. We really are. This really long are. to talk about it. Unlike Ermin um, Meyer, who shows very little <laughs> restraint this weekend. There it is. <laughs> the, the seal has been broken, and I don't think we're ever going to fully get a lid peck on this. But uh, let's at least uh, start with, uh, I think, uh, Connor, you suggested uh, this one because you wanted to talk about it, possibly as your big boob, but then uh, another one came up. But uh, Michigan's coverage... Um, and the general way they've approached defense, you know, there were, you know, obviously at the end of the half, there was a quick scoring drive by Wisconsin, but that's really been very much the exception. They had a long field goal drive prior to that. And um, some of this has been that Michigan has been willing to play off coverage a little bit and allow some stuff underneath in order to prevent shots hitting over the top. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a big scheme guy. So those who are can, you know, help me figure out exactly which coverage Michigan is using when. And it's hard to tell on the broadcast, but like, yeah, you, you really can't tell the camera doesn't, <laughs> doesn't show it. Yeah. I mean, but I think what's, what's fairly clear is that you often Michigan is sitting early in drives, especially like Michigan is sitting back in various zones. And I think that the contract they're making with opposing offenses is essentially, okay, if you can find the hole in our zone you can get your seven yards, then we'll tackle you, and you got seven yards, and meanwhile, we're going to hit your quarterback. And I'm in favor of that. It's working really well. Like, in this game, they hit the Wisconsin quarterback or pressured them pretty much literally every time they dropped back. Um, and to Alex's point, like, this is not the greatest Wisconsin offensive line ever, but it's still one of the best offensive lines Michigan will see. And I think that a lot of them looking bad is simply that Michigan made them look bad by always finding ways to get pressure, which... Again, to the point about like all the the players that can, they can get pressure from in the defense, like they have so many options there that I actually will trade sort of constant creative pressures and the idea that you keep hitting the quarterback for quite a few um, seven yard passes. And not every seven yard completion is a world historical horrible thing. A lot of college QBs will mess those up even if they're available. A lot of receivers will mess them up. Then defenses get into the red zone where Michigan's been excellent this year and it's a whole different ball game because there's less room in general. So my point is soft coverage works a lot better than people think. Even if when teams do start marching down the field and they hit a few of those available passes, it's very frustrating to watch. It's working really, really well and it's working because they're hitting the quarterback. That's my that's my take. Yeah, I will happily accept a like... <clears throat> You know, the the occasional really frustrating long drive down the field for just like, oh, uh, there's a decent chance that if the ball goes down the field farther than 20 yards, that it's going to hit somebody who's like four yards away from the cornerback, which, uh, I mean, I don't think I need to say why I'm uh, saying that. 
I think that, you know, it's uh, that, that Connor's right about this and that, you know, they've it really is remarkable the extent to which they haven't busted basically at all. I mean, there's not even mm-hmm. basically at all. There's actually there's one coverage bust against Wisconsin that I can really, I guess, one against Wisconsin, one against Rutgers. The one against Rutgers was just a really, really good play call. We don't have to get into specifics of plays here, but point being, they have busted remarkably a um, uh, few times so far this year. And uh, I think that, you know, the soft coverage is part of the fact that they still probably don't think that their cornerbacks are world beaters. I don't think those guys have necessarily changed. So it's, it's the correct strategy. Um, I will say that there, have been, there was at least one time in the Wisconsin game where I felt that the coverage probably should be a little bit tighter. Um, there was a, a play where Aiden Hutchinson immediately hit Graham Mertz and Graham Mertz was like in the midst of throwing a sideline comeback to the opposite sideline. And it took like probably five seconds to get to the receiver and it was still a completion. I was like, okay, they should be a little bit tighter. Like that should be a play that is at least contested because there's no way that that ball should be getting there with that velocity and, and, you know, not having a contest. But for the most part, I've been totally fine with them being willing to give up, you know, a five yard out every once in a while. Um, It's, it's, it's much better than like, you know, uh, just being giving up 70 yards on a slot fade um, and, and immediately being down seven, nothing. So, yeah, it definitely protects the, the cornerbacks quite a bit, I feel. And I'm not a scheme guy either, so I can't say, you know, how much of it is, you know, they're running cover three, which they didn't really do last year. Um, but, yeah, I agree with everyone else. So who had more busts this weekend, Michigan or Urban Meyer? <laughs> sorry. I'm um, sorry. Um, uh, I think it's good that uh, – that even on Michigan's busted plays that they're not going for touchdowns. Uh, that seems like a very good sign. Like, uh, like the frustrating play is like, yeah, this floated to the sideline for eight yards and they got a first down out of it. And, or like they barely eluded uh, the impending hit on the quarterback to get a pass out to their tight end who then immediately got hit by Dax Hill. Um, like teams are, really having to pay for their yards uh, against Michigan and really have to work for them. And that is pretty promising. Um, another thing that is uh, quite exciting that that we've been seeing is uh, a lot of players improving noticeably as the season goes on. Um, this has especially been the case on defense. Um, David Ojabo, obviously, uh, two and a half sacks, uh, forced fumble. Um, I believe he was the co-Big Den Defensive Player of the Week. Um, meanwhile, uh, I don't think we mentioned yet that Aiden Hudson was the PFF uh, National Defensive Player of the Week. So pretty good performance out of uh, the outside linebacker group. Um, Chris Hinton came on. Uh, Mike Morris came on. Uh, I think both had their hand uh, in in sacks. Um, definitely played their part in some, in some pressures uh, and have held up against the run. I mean, Michigan overall looked quite good against the run in this game um you're seeing guys emerge on offense like uh uh, roman wilson in particular uh at wide receiver uh really stepping up in the absence of ronnie bell and showing that uh he's not just a guy who you're gonna throw nine routes to over the top uh he can be a pretty well-rounded receiver and, and use use that speed to uh get separation um and yeah, I, I, I mean, it's really exciting to see uh, a lot of young guys both 
improving as the season goes on, which it hasn't always felt like has been the case in recent years, and also being given that chance. Because uh, I'm not sure if um, lately we would have seen a guy like Mike Morris out there uh, as much as we have. Uh, so to to have these guys rotating in and also looking pretty good uh, is, I would say, another point in, in this coaching staff's favor right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's something that we see a, a definite tangible difference um, that, you know, Mike, uh, that uh, Mike McDonald is willing to, I mean, we don't want to belabor the points that we've talked about before, but he's willing to play young guys. Whereas I feel like in previous years, it was very much like you have to really like, you have to prove that you've fully grasped like the scheme and every part of it um, before, you know, you're allowed on the field. And I don't totally just want to trash Don Brown because, again, like I think <laughs> I'm he was surprised a good... we've gone this long without doing. I know, so. <laughs> I know. It's, I don't want to trash Don Brown, says man who regularly. Trashes <laughs> Don I, Brown. I do. Well, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. I do. <laughs> I feel bad because it's like I I know that there's going to be there's going to be at least one game during the season where I'm like, oh man, I really wish you were playing like press coverage and, and not just not having like this annoying like. 15 play drive down the field that you know someone executes but i i for right now it does feel a lot better the way they're doing things and the way they've done them done in the past but in in relation to just like playing young players i mean it's great to see like yeah i mean you know mozzie smith is probably making some mistakes out there but it seems like he's getting better every week chris hinton's definitely getting better every week um and and guys like junior colson like if if they're allowed to make their mistakes in this defense like they're going to be terrors you know next year and then you've got two years of like a fully you know uh weaponized like blue chip recruit um you know heat seeking missile at linebacker instead of like waiting for them to like totally grasp the offense you know i mean i guess imagine if like in 2016 uh, instead of, you know, like Mike McRae, we had like kind of let Devin Bush like get his his licks in. And then by the end of that season, it was Devin Bush on that 2016 defense. You know, like it it, maybe, it, it does feel better. Maybe he could have defended Saquon Barkley. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it definitely makes a difference uh, in terms of bringing talent out early and i think it also is going to help with uh retaining that talent um because uh even though michigan has uh you know let young players see the field i I don't think we're seeing you know players in danger of getting forced into a role where they're like where they would be in a position to to be an obvious transfer candidate and there will clearly be transfers because this is the age of I mean, because that's how it's always been. I'm not. I'm not going to be one of those people who says this is the age of the transfer portal, even though I th- that is literally almost what I just said. Uh, but um, you are going to have a certain amount of attrition. Uh, I think though, Michigan is doing a good job of getting young players in in a way that is going to help head off some of the more uh, painful attrition that sometimes you get, um, where uh, you know a promising young player just hasn't been used in the right way. Uh, when they were young or hasn't been given a, a, a real chance to see the field and they get frustrated and, and look elsewhere. So uh, I would, I would say that's a, a pretty good thing. Um, next up, I, I think we got to talk about uh, the quarterback situation because uh, um, Cade McNamara was good in this game and uh, uh, his numbers have been really solid all season. Uh, you know, he, absolutely nailed the flea flicker uh I, I could not have thrown that ball any better uh cornelius johnson did not have to break stride he also threw a gorgeous fade to him 
those those two seem to have a really great connection going. Um, but also, uh, McNamara had a, a scramble in this game where uh, it looked like he was going to be able to like run out to the sideline, leak out from the pocket, and uh, maybe pick up a first down. And a guy who uh, definitely did not have a great angle on him, it got him like two yards, three yards short of the sticks. It was it was a little rough to watch. And it's pretty clear that uh, um, the reads in the run game aren't really there, uh, at least keep reads for the quarterback when McNamara's in the game. And we, meanwhile, uh, Harbaugh and Gaddis are putting J.J. McCarthy in the game um, and on some scattered snaps, seemingly at random, and uh, having him run zone reads and whatnot where the keep read is actually there. And he picked up a first down with his legs in this game. And then he also, uh, once he took over uh, in the second half with Michigan up big, um, threw another just gorgeous inch perfect deep ball to Dalen Baldwin for a touchdown. Um, so I don't know what to do with this, uh, but I think I would call this a good problem. I was totally shocked to see J.J. McCarthy come out there in the third quarter while it was still a competitive game. But yeah, it was seemingly at random, but they definitely leaned run with J.J. in. I feel like that's kind of standard with backup QBs. And, um, you know, Harbaugh brought in uh, McCaffrey a little bit, to my recollection, to to run the ball. Um, I do think that it is kind of contriving a a Brady-Henson situation where Cade McNamara might not look like Tom Brady right now, but he's the, you know, more experienced, more established player, hotshot recruit, uh, true freshman, getting some snaps behind him. Um, it is kind of interesting that people psychoanalyze quarterback rotations um, in a way that they don't for any other position, right? Like you're subbing running backs in and out of the game, you have different receivers. I get that it is different, but, you know, theoretically you can make it work with you know, running QB and normal QB, if that's kind of how you want to break it down. Yeah, and it doesn't seem to be impacting Cade McNamara in terms of his approach to games or his psyche. I mean, Fox made sure to show the whole, like, warm-up sequence between him and Harbaugh, and uh, those guys seem like they're on pretty good terms. Yeah, and I mean, if the argument is that um, J.J. is simply too good to not play at all, then you got to give him some snaps, right? I... I honestly, like, I think the way they're using J.J. makes a ton of sense. He is a better athlete than Cade, um, so he brings a new dimension to the running game. He also has a bigger arm, but, like, um, like I, the way I look at this with Cade, like, okay, I'm just looking at Cade's stats. Uh, Cade is completing 62% of his passes this year, nine yards per attempt, and still with zero turnovers. So if you're doing nine yards an attempt for zero turnovers, and I just, like, concealed the name of the quarterback and the name of the team any coach would be like yeah you're gonna win a lot of games with that so mm-hmm. um and those stats are increasingly not inflated because you know he's turned in he's gotten a good enough sample size now i think this game is just who kate is because there were some pretty bad passes mixed in there so you can't say he's being a total assassin he does take a while to get going he weirdly struggles to dink and dunk in intermediary zones um his deep ball has been absolute money this year, and I feel like I'm going to jinx him by saying that. But the flea flicker was beautiful. That is not the first time uh, we've seen him do that or the last time in this game even we saw him hit a nice deep ball. That one that he hit to Roman Wilson wasn't perfectly placed. But that it was ridiculous. Placed. Yeah, he's getting hit. Like, he had to stand in yeah. there and take a hit as he's releasing it. So it's just a, you know, it's a phenomenal pass, really. Um, to give and, him and a great a catch, too. Great play on yeah. both ends on that one. 
So, I mean, I, I'm people are getting gearing up to argue with me, I can tell, but like, I don't see them pulling Cade this year unless he really screws up and he really, really hasn't. And the overall production, while unspectacular, has, I mean, it has been efficient as hell, honestly, and I think he's playing quite well. So, yeah. Yeah, and even beyond the stats, I think there's some stuff that he does in terms of organizing the offense that, you know, in terms of checking into a run play if there's numbers in the box, mm-hmm. um, moving protections if the defense is tipping a blitz of some kind. Like, there is stuff that doesn't neatly trans translate to statistical metrics, but um, you kind of need a quarterback who can command the game like that, and that is the biggest problem with freshmen most of the times. It's like, okay, he can make all the throws, but even beyond, you know, reading routes down the field, how is he reading the entire game from the quarterback position? It's something that you think uh, a guy who's been in the program for a couple of years might have a better grasp of. Yeah, I mean, so I think that Connor said it well when he said this is, you know, Kate is who he is. Um, I think he's an efficient game manager that's going to get you in the right call. Um, going to call the protection well, going to like manage the offense and, you know, not take a lot of delay of games, which he's been great at so far. Um, I also think, you know, he's, he's more of a first read kind of guy. Like he's going to make a lot of good first reads, you know, pre-snap. Um, and he's going to hit those when they're open, when they're not open, he's going to struggle a little bit to get progressed to his next read. Um, I think he, he does kind of get a little bit like, um, I would say like a little, maybe not nervous, but just like he's not quite as seamless to getting to like his secondary receivers as you know you'd hope. Um, he's gonna miss some intermediate throws. I think there were some pretty there were some pretty open uh, plays to be had that he, he missed, um, especially early on. Um, but he's gonna be money on deep balls, and and that's a guy, especially within the context of the offense, where they're gonna be running a lot, they're gonna be taking a lot of deep shots, like to to keep the safeties back, like. That's gonna that's gonna be an effective quarterback in this offense. Um, the thing that I think we saw today, you know, which I guess I didn't realize until I saw it, is that he is very slow. Um, <laughs> and I mean, to the point where, like, I think part of the re- look, I think he should keep the ball more on on zone reads, clearly. But part of the reason he might not be doing that is like he's not even fast enough to like keep the defense honest, like. A, 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 a linebacker or a safety that's coming down to check the to uh, check the quarterback run might be might be able to like bite on the play fake and still recover and make the tackle, um, which is not ideal. And uh, JJ is is not you know Denard, but he's pretty darn fast. And I think at least for right now, JJ in games that matter in situations that matter, JJ should probably be the running downs quarterback because. He clearly can throw the ball, and if he's the only one that's fast enough to run his own read, then he should be in there on third and one. Um, I, if they, tr- I mean, they clearly trust him, right? They brought him out in meaningful downs in the biggest game of the year so far. So if you trust him to like run that part of the playbook, um, he should be the one taking those snaps because it's it, it. There, there are there are like buckets of yards being left on the field by the fact that. Michigan is not pulling in their zone read game. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, that that's a fair statement. And I think, you know, once you break out the, like, we've inserted this guy in a significant game and he's performed well, it's hard to kind of get that back in the bag a little bit. So, I, I, I mean, I don't think, I don't, 
I'm not expecting McCarthy to pass McNamara, but I do think he's going to be a, a relatively significant part of the offense going forward just because of that extra dimension he brings to the running game and the fact that you can't assume that it's going to be a run when he's in the game because he is a extremely talented passer. Yeah, I think at this point, because he played against Wisconsin, you can probably expect to see him moving forward, but I don't think he's going to get more than like 10 or 15% of the snaps, and he only threw the ball once, right? So it, it was pretty heavily skewed towards the run while he was in. Well, Michigan was also um, beating Wisconsin's ass, so uh, that, that probably affected the uh, play calling while he was in the game a little bit. Okay. Um. So... Uh, so, so I guess let's make it a little bit interesting. Um, if over under 0.5 games, uh, McCarthy starts with a healthy Cade, um, as, as an asterisk. Under, I don't think he starts five games this season. 0.5, 0.5. Uh, he's not going to start unless he won't start unless Cade is hurt or Cade like has a meltdown and throws four picks in a game or something. I'm going to say over. I'm just going to I'm going to be the I I think the way that they used him in this game kind of pretends that he might be on the way there. Um and once he's there, I don't think Cade keeps him off the field. So, I'm going to say he will start one game this year. All right. Um one last thing before we get to Urban. I did want to bring up uh again Ian Boyd's article on MGo blog uh about uh specifically about how Michigan is using uh, Dax Hill and Aiden Hutchinson on uh, the wide side of the field uh, when the offense is on uh, the, a hash mark. Um, and just basically because of those guys' ability, you know, with Hutchinson's ability to shut down any sort of outside run uh, from his spot and also obviously be a, a terror rushing the quarterback and Hill's ability to line up over the slot receiver and cover that player and really um, – shut that guy down without help but uh, he did get hit with a couple passes on wisconsin's uh late drive but those were fantastic throws uh into really tight windows uh his coverage has been spectacular this year and this is yet another thing that that really speaks to the turnaround in defensive coaching this season is just seeing um an adjustment to the way that modern offenses run in terms of you know getting a lot of guys in with with a head of steam going towards open space. And, uh, you know, we've seen Michigan die by crossing routes uh, and also Michigan die by outside runs before or get got by them. And there's really almost none of that right now and very little happening in space against Michigan because, uh, in large part because those two dudes are just shutting everything down. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think... Um... I think it's good to see, you know, the, them use the the best of their abilities. Like to me, that's just part of maximizing a guy's value. When you have an, when you have two All American type talents like that, um, I don't think you just slot them into you know positions on the defense. I think you try to build your defense around them, especially when it's a defense that you know has personnel uh, shortcomings elsewhere. Right? I mean, this is not a perfect NFL defense. Um, so it's been great to to see them used, you know, as uh, as you know as they're the maximum version of themselves in this defense. Yeah. I mean, it's only been five games. Um, 
but I think Mike McDonald is pretty good at this, folks. That's why uh, <laughs> it's my sort of deep schematic analysis of what's going on here. Like Ian Boyd knows way more about this than I do. I think he broke it down really well. Everyone should read that article. But I say McDonald's is good at this for many reasons, and I think number one is what Dan just said, which is getting the absolute most out of the talent that's available to you, which we know on Michigan's roster, especially on defense, is imperfect and kind of unbalanced um, in a lot of ways. But you have two guys who are exceptional talents, and you're using them brilliantly. I, I really think Mike McDonald might be... I'm not going to finish that sentence, because I think I just think he's very good. Don't want to the poor guy. <laughs> He has been excellent this season. There's, there's no question about that. Um, and I think we've, we've held out long enough. Uh, man, we have made it over 45 minutes without just diving into. Um, God, uh, I can't say anything about this without it seeming to be a euphemism, <laughs> um, which is um, part of uh, part of this story's charm. Um, God, where to start with with Urban Meyer? I don't. I have windows open. I, I have a lot of quotes. Um, let's let's start with this thread and then work backwards a little bit. Um, this is from uh, Michael or Mike Silver on Twitter. Um, the Urban Meyer situation in Jacksonville has reached a crisis point, especially in the locker room. One player told me he has zero credibility in that stadium. He had very little to begin with. Players were particularly put off by the fact that Meyer canceled Monday's team meeting as he dealt with the uproar over the videos of him and a young woman getting cozy in that Ohio bar. He even canceled the team meeting. He was too scared, a player said. Instead, Meyer, quote, only apologized to position groups individually, unquote. He portrayed the women, woman in the videos as a random person who was, quote, just there dancing, unquote. Suffice it to say, his audience was highly skeptical. Said one player, we looked at him like WTF, question mark. Right then, right when he left, everyone started dying laughing, and he knew it. Bottom line, said the player, it's bad. I don't know how he's going to function. So, by the way, do we need to do we need to explain like a quick explain the situation yes. just for in case anyone like doesn't we just kind of like launched into an Urban Meyer tirade? No, yeah, um, no, I I just wanted to read that to set the stage, <laughs> and now let's uh, let's start filling in some details here because this started leaking out like kind of slowly on what like Saturday night I think it was Saturday night like during the during the late game, um, there was word that. Uh, Urban Meyer had been spotted at his own uh, steakhouse slash pint house. Um, it's really called the pint house um, in Dublin, Ohio, um, which uh, notably is not Jacksonville, Florida, where he uh, currently works. Um, and uh, pretty quickly, uh, both uh, pictures and videos started coming out of him uh in uh, some some pretty interesting positions uh, with uh, a young woman, um, possibly a couple different young women, um, one of whom uh, captioned a, uh, a a selfie of her in Meyer with uh, who is this man? He keeps flirting with me. Uh, it is important to note that this happened at Urban Meyer's restaurant, where there are several large murals of him on the walls. Um, also, he was wearing a pink Ohio State quarter zip. Uh, that should definitely be. Uh, I mean, you could not have picked a more perfect garment for this kind of sleazy suburban night. Like, I just, I can't get over that outfit. Yeah, that's, uh, it was that's like so it's like good. every like. 
every dad in Ohio is like, oh, it's going to be a fancy night. Like, I'm, I'm putting on the Ohio State quarter zip. Like, that's <laughs> the pink breaking one. it the, out. The, the pink one is classy. <laughs> it's not red. And by the way, like, meanwhile, like, while all this is happening, like, his wife tweeted that, uh, by the way, just, just to make it clear, none of these women were his wife. Yeah, um, let's, let's point that out. <laughs> um, that's she was at home. Detail. She was babysitting at home, right? Yeah, she, she, <laughs> tweeted, yeah. she tweeted about how she was babysitting. Like, she quote tweeted a, a picture of him, like, out of the bar, not with, not of him grinding on, you know, a 20-something. <laughs> yeah, not that um, picture. <laughs> but they, they, she quote tweeted a picture of him, like, being out of the bar saying, like, oh, like, you know, like, meanwhile, like, I'm babysitting sitting at uh I'm, I'm babysitting at home and it's i mean that that part's kind of sad i do feel bad for shelly meyer even though you know she's got some interesting uh, political views well i um yeah, I she, no I one do. deserves that uh, okay i well, mean her hashtag, I guess, you know, hashtag buddy needed a break is also you know meme worthy it's up there with, like <laughs> <laughs> i don't know um, also by the way ace I, I i just saw a tweet of this um apparently there is a picture of urban and his wife like up like prominently in the in the (laughs) bar i mean look so here's the thing right like it's no secret that a lot of athletes and coach and football coaches at a high level um are not the most faithful probably right uh i i think that you know that that probably just goes for people in general but uh yeah football but especially uh, football coaches because you spend so much time at the office and traveling it it lends itself to that and that's not to say that's okay like i'm not saying like oh it's cool to cheat on your wife obviously but um but it's it it, like a lot of people a lot of coaches do this and don't you know and it's not uh huge news like urban meyer did this at his own steakhouse a place where like you know ostensibly everyone knows who he is like he thinks so little of he was just i don't know so uh so horny that he like had to do this at like his own steakhouse, a place where he was definitely going to get caught and filmed. Um, it was just, I mean, it's to Urban Meyer, shocking. In fairness to Urban Meyer, he did appear to be pretty intoxicated. <laughs> like uh, in that in that hilariously captioned uh, photo, uh, he his eyes were not finding the camera lens, like at all. Also. Uh, that that steakhouse I should note uh, serves a Shelly Teeny, um, which, uh, <laughs> which is forty dollars, which is forty dollars, and according to them, serves quote unquote up to six, which sounds like a challenge, <laughs> and I think Urban <laughs> took it. I think the venue, like, we need to dwell on that because, like, yeah, the forty dollars Shelly Teeny. So this is very clearly like a suburban restaurant where the entrees are like fifty dollars and clearly terrible, and everything is like just sort of tacky and horrible, like, you know, a pale imitation of Guy Fieri food. Like, it's just everything about this venue. Because, like, if you're a rich guy, who rich, famous, powerful man like Urban Meyer is and you want to cheat on your wife, like, there are so many places you could go to do that that aren't, like, the chop house in the suburb of Columbus where you, like, you know, where, of course, literally you're on the wall, um, but, like, this is all that makes it so self-destructive, right? Like, you wouldn't do it in this exact way if part of you weren't hoping to get caught. Um, and that's kind of the beauty, the, the narrative beauty of all this. It's not like he got, like, you know, filmed in, like, Cancun or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, if we're uh, accepting the premise that Urban Meyer is some kind of evil genius, then this, <laughs> like, something like this kind of points to him perhaps planning an exit strategy from Jacksonville because he really hates his new job. Maybe he and Shelly are poly and in an open relationship. Who knows? 
Yeah, he could also be planning an exit strategy like from his marriage. Um, that's also could be potentially part of this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, given given Shelly Meyer, um, I mean, if it were anyone else, I wouldn't blame him. But those two seem like a, a match made in hell. But uh, that's, uh, you know. I don't know. I should probably so, stop talking. <laughs> so, and one thing I do like about this is that, like, when, when Urban Meyer was hired with the Jaguars, everyone on the internet basically said, like, oh, this is not going to work. I mean, there's 0% way that, that this goes well, any way other than, like, him resigning in shame. And it's one of those few instances where just everyone was correct besides the person making the decision, right? Like, <laughs> we were all just, like... We're all like, yeah, of course. He like, brought this, in Tim Tebow. Yeah. This is a man that, like, cannot handle an ounce of defeat, right? Cannot handle defeat, but even more so. And on top of that, like, a serial cheater and just, like, you know, liar. Allegedly. And man. he's... Alleged, you're right, sorry, allegedly. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't... Look, we don't know. Apparently, look, by, oh, yeah, he, he... I mean, look, as, as far as Urban um, has told us, he was having a nice dinner uh, with his grandkids, um, and this this 20-something dragged him on the, da the dance floor and and forcefully... I'm not even going to finish, but, like... He, <laughs> it, it, are, it, are you telling me your... that Urban Meyer did not give a satisfactory <laughs> apology for, for his <laughs> obvious actions? It is so funny that he tried to use his grandkids as a shield. Like, oh, actually, my grandkids were there um, while I was grinding on that twenty-year-old. Um, but uh, it's it's just funny because it's like it it was never gonna work, um, and everyone knew it. And it is just it's flamed out even more spectacularly. Meanwhile, by the way, the ja the Jaguars are winless. Um, like, Terrible. I've, I've done pretty well betting against them. It, it's been yeah. a nice uh, fade this season. Yeah, and like, so, the players um, don't like him, right? Because he's that tyrannical college coach like Saban was when he got to the NFL, where it's like he wants to control everything and then act like he's above the law, which is what he's doing by not flying home with the team and instead going to his gross chop house. Like, that does not work with NFL players. Yeah. Any respect he might have had in that locker room, which I assume he he probably lost when he started running his practices like they were college practices and like shouting the winners of drills over the megaphone and stuff like that, which uh, apparently, the, I mean, that was coming out of their camp and it did not sound great. But if he didn't lose it when he tried to hire Iowa's former strength coach, who was fired for some very good reasons like racism, um, like open racism, um you know, that didn't go over great, and uh, they had to undo that within, like, I don't know, 24 hours. And then he signed Tim Tebow, who um, I don't think is very popular in NFL locker rooms. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that. I don't think he's very popular in NFL locker rooms, especially among, like, the players towards the bottom end of the roster who are like, wait a minute. I thought this was a serious thing that we're going trying to do here about trying to make this team. And you brought this dude in as a tight end? Um what? Uh, uh, I, I think a lot of dudes were very eager to say uh, hit Tim Tebow in practice um, and might have actually been a little sad when he was cut because uh, um, there were some uh, videos leaking out of practice of guys uh, knocking him off his blocks that were uh, they seemed to be taking some joy in that. I'll put it that way. Um, so, I mean, even putting this stuff aside, um, which is pretty difficult to do, uh, if I'm going to be honest, um, I mean, he had already probably lost that locker room. Um, and in terms of the confidence he has from the team today, uh, here's a statement from team owner Shad Khan. I have addressed this matter with Urban. Specifics of our conversation will be held in confidence. 
What I will say is his conduct last weekend was inexcusable. I appreciate Urban's remorse, which I believe is sincere. Whew. Now he must regain our trust and respect. That will require a personal commitment from Urban to everyone who supports, represent, or plays for our team. I am confident he will deliver. Does it sound very confident? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. The rest of that statement and the last slide really did not go together at all. So it's it's also like the last thing I'll say about this is, you know, I think we all kind of took it for granted that Urban was going to fail at Jacksonville because, you know, even if Urban did a good job, it's Jacksonville. Um, but what he has done now is kind of torpedoed the chance that he can really be hired at, a, at as the head coach of a um, – of a high-level college program next year, I would say. Hey, I mean, Liberty, Liberty is still out there. <laughs> I said high-level. That I is a high okay. Yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> yeah, Liberty could definitely hire him, which would be, again, very funny. Incredibly um, on brand. Or, or but, uh, it'll become an analyst at Alabama. <laughs> but USC, uh, yeah, de- analyst at Alabama seems like where he's going. Um, but USC and, uh, and I guess wherever else would be in the running do not seem like uh, – like they would be, I mean, that'd be a pretty bad PR hit to take, but I've been wrong before. So, <laughs> I mean, it's not just a bad PR hit. It's like, do you think that this person can run an organization without, um, even if he's successful on the field, uh, totally destroying everything else? Um, I mean, Ohio State has managed to keep the pieces together quite well so far, but we'll see how this season goes. And, uh, they did have the whole uh, Zach Smith thing, um, which was uh, pretty horrific. And um, Florida took a while to bounce back from that. Uh, the, the only place he hasn't really left in shambles was Utah, Bowling <laughs> Green. I mean, it, it has been a while since he has not left a job in, in just, you know, a garbage fire. I mean, quick note on, uh, yeah, absolutely. And quick note on the Zach Smith thing. Like, this is this is why when I look at Urban Meyer now, he was doing what I call resting buyout face at his press conference about this. Where it's just like, <laughs> you can just see coaches calculating their buyout. I think my best favorite example of this was, uh, I think it was 2018 when Willie Taggart, like his, his offensive line at Florida State, like did not know what blocking was. And just oh, his God. face on the sideline, you were like, that is a guy who's going to call his agent at 7.30 in the morning about like to review the buyout clause. <laughs> that was Urban Meyer at the podium looking uh, hungover and, and stubbly. But, um, but the thing with him, the reason that I look at him and see not just all those coaches that are like that, but also like a guy like Brett Kavanaugh, he reminds me of. They're like, they're like hypocritical, grandstanding Catholic ex-jocks of the same generation. Um, <laughs> like I look at that, I'm just like – it's because you're a fucking excuse me it's because you're a whiner he's a whiner like urban is this huge victim of all the time he even managed to make himself a victim in the zach smith thing which was disgusting and like we don't have to belabor this much longer but like he is just the sort of the sense of martyrdom around that man who has done very little but win in his life and anytime he faces adversity just like blames everyone around him and, and acts like he's been, you know, put up on a cross. It's just pretty, it's really disgusting. And sorry, I was trying to be funny with this and now I'm getting angry. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of where it takes you eventually is like, yeah, like, like, yeah, like God, so much about this is extremely funny, especially while I'm looking at a, a menu from Urban's Chop House that has uh, Urban Meyer and then an approved stamp up in the upper right hand corner uh, with the signature. Um, it's just, um, there's a $96 seafood tower. Um, I, there's just, uh, 
There's so much here where you're looking at and going, first of all, there is like one too many ingredients in this thing. And also like, how in the world does it cost this much? And where did you source these ingredients from when you're in Dublin, Ohio? Um, and I'm certain it is awful. Absolutely certain. There is a $149 porterhouse for two. Um, it just says served with accompaniments. <laughs> um... <laughs> I, uh, uh, first of all, uh, we may be sending a couple people, uh, to, uh, sample some of, uh, the Urban Chop House menu and, uh, write about their experience for the bucket problem. That's Dan's uh, upcoming uh, date night, this... everyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it'll be his last, but he's going out big. Um, <laughs> no, um, it's, yeah, uh, we'll have more on that soon. We've teased it on Twitter, but, uh, I, I, I think, uh, Bill DeFilippo and, and Patrick Bayhorn are going to be uh, making a great bodily sacrifice in the name of journalism uh, coming up here pretty soon. And uh, that is going to be, ugh, I, I mean, I, I have seen what they have picked out and um, I have seen a picture of the deviled eggs. <laughs> and um, also, uh, yes, uh, they they will be uh, sampling the Shelly Teeny. And um, they have already uh, arranged, I believe, for um, uh, transportation home uh, that does not involve either of them driving because uh, we are responsible here at the Bucket Problem other than everything else that's <laughs> happening with this whole situation. And with that, um, I think we got to move on to picks as, as much as I, I mean, is there anything else from this Urban Meyer thing before we do our picks? Just like, have I have I missed something critical to this story? Because um other than the details that we just don't want to put out there, I, I, I've, there is so much here. I, it's, it's kind of overwhelming and, um, yeah, uh, dark and hilarious. As, I suspect we'll get to mentioned. revisit this, so <laughs> I wouldn't worry too yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, we we might have an over under on about like when this podcast drops for, uh, our for Meyer still being uh, Jacksonville's coach, and that might set off a whole other chain of ridiculous events. All right. Um, last week was a, a pretty damn good uh, picks week for all of us. Um, the worst record uh, for any of us was Alex at three and two because he declined to pick one of the games. I believe it was the Ohio State Rutgers game. Um, me and Connor both both went four and two, um, five and two if we're including the uh, Charlotte bonus bet uh, covering against Illinois, which we're not. Um, and Dan terrifyingly went five and one, um, and now. Uh, Dan and Connor are tied atop the overall picks lead at 15, 11, and 1. Alex is at 12, 9, and 1, and I am uh, uh, improving at 12, 13, and 1. Uh, I'm willing to make picks, all right? Uh, we'll, we'll go with that. Um, the first game on the docket is uh, one with a pretty terrifying line. Uh, Maryland, plus 21 at Ohio State. Um, over under of 70 on this one. Maryland obviously coming off getting just just stomped uh, against Iowa at at home I mean with like a, a blackout crowd and uh Talia Tonkavailoa throws five picks um Dante Divas it appears gets lost for the season on a really the uh, ugly looking injury on a kickoff return that also results in a fumble um you're not gonna believe it but once again uh, Iowa benefited greatly from uh short fields off of turnovers um but uh yeah this was a uh a thorough stomping that uh really uh halted the momentum of Maryland's uh undefeated start 
meanwhile, Ohio State uh, blew out Rutgers in a way that Michigan very much did not. Um, so I don't. I, I, this might be an overcorrection based on last week, but um, I think Maryland. Uh, I think they're go- they're more likely to have a hangover game instead of a bounce back game. I also think Ohio State's offense is likely to uh, tear them apart, and uh, Ohio State's offense is extremely good. Uh, the defense is the problem, and I think the defense is uh, going to be good enough to hold Maryland down. So I'm taking Ohio State in this one. Alex, what's your pick? I think that it is going to kind of shake out a little bit like Maryland's game against Iowa, um, especially with Ohio State being at home. But I actually took under 70 instead of betting the point spread in this game. Probably the smart play, given the point spread is 21. Uh, Connor, um, what say you? So I've been burned two weeks in a row by betting against Ohio State. Um, you know, Some might say I'm being a little bit of a homer. So to prove that I'm not, I'm going to get pragmatic, and I'm going to say, fear the turtle! Maryland's going to put a scare into these guys. Um, I'm not letting up. I'm betting against Ohio State. I, I know that Ohio State's defense hasn't looked as bad in recent weeks, or at least last week. I don't know. I still think Maryland has sort of the team speed and the, the pep in their step to score some points, even if last week was a pretty big step back for them. And 21 points is a lot. And I think you're generally in relatively safe territory if you're, you know, picking a conference game um, with that big of a spread. So, yeah, I'll go with Maryland. That was uh, easily the most excited I've heard anyone about be about Maryland football this week. Uh, Dan, um, once again, changing his pick uh, in the middle of uh, uh, me tr- introducing him, basically. Uh, yeah, I'll just hand it over to you. I went five and one last week, so I get to uh, I get to change my picks in the middle. Um, I was I was trying to convince myself into Maryland, um, but I just feel like Ohio State's uh, unfortunately just tr- starting to round into form. Um, there's, I, I don't know. Maryland has not been impressive. Uh, they, they, their only really impressive win against Western or West Virginia was like with four turnovers. Um, and though, although they were unlucky to get stomped by Iowa, given that they like turned the ball over five times, uh, that Iowa was clearly, clearly, clearly a better team last week. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Ohio state to cover here. This feels like the type of game that they, you know, uh, blow out. It's at Ohio State. You know, it's yeah. Uh, Ohio State will win, and and you know, probably score like it'll be fifty to fourteen or something like that. Which is why I'm staying away from that total. It just scares me because um, that that's a lot of points. Um, next game up, we uh, Michigan State minus five at Rutgers over under forty nine and a half. Uh, I like the Spartans in this one. I. Don't really want to talk about it that much other than uh, Kenneth Walker is definitely the best player in this game. And uh, um, really anything less than a touchdown against Rutgers against a a complete team, I'm going to take the complete team. And uh, Michigan State may not have a a particularly spectacular offense, um, but uh, their defense is definitely good enough to hold down Rutgers. And um, I think Walker will be enough to to keep the ball moving. Um, So I've got State. Uh, Alex, what about you? Also, I have State. I uh, like the Spartans at home. Connor? I foresee a bounce-back game for a proud and storied uh, football program. I don't know if you know this, but college or football began at, uh, with Rutgers. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I actually, like, I, I picked Rutgers here. I agree that five is not as many points as I would like. I'd love it for more like eight or something. But, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Rutgers is as bad as they looked last week against Ohio State. I don't think Michigan State's as good as their ranking. Um, 
And I do think that Rutgers defense is probably good enough and especially experienced enough to give Michigan State some trouble. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going with uh, with Rutgers here. Dan, before you change it. Yeah, so um, I'm going to go with Rutgers to cover MSU to win. Um, not, you know, uh, my bet would be Rutgers to cover. Uh, basically, I, I think that the, the, the defenses that MSU has uh, had success against are horrendous uh, universally. I think it was like Northwestern and uh, Youngstown State. And um, I guess Miami, they had a little bit of uh, success, but they, uh, they got a lot of turnover help there. Um, and you know, they, they've, they've looked bad against good defenses. I think Rutgers has a good defense. Um, I think they're going to, you know, confuse MSU's offensive line up front. Um, all that said, I think they're the Michigan state's going to beat Rutgers because Michigan state feels like a well-coached and complete ish team. Um, and Rutgers is, you know, still pretty Rutgersy and they showed that against Ohio state. So, um, Rutgers to cover, but not win. All right. Our sickos game of the week is, uh, a very beat up Wisconsin team, uh, minus 10 at Illinois. Um, the total for this game is 42 points, um, which, uh, is actually, I I would have loved to bet the under on this game, but that is too low for me to touch. Um, I am gritting my teeth and taking Illinois in this one. Uh, I think, um, I, I just, I've watched too much of this Wisconsin offense to be willing to take them with a 10 point cushion against almost anybody. Uh, and on the road after a game in which they just got thoroughly worked over, um, in a way that I think is going to carry over to the next week. Um, I, I, you know, if this were last year's Illinois team, I'd say absolutely not, but I think Brett Bielema is enough of an upgrade over, um, uh, of, over Lovey Smith and also will be uh, particularly motivated in this one um, where Ms. Wisconsin might not be um, that uh, yeah I'm, I'm taking the fighting Illini uh, and I don't love the sound of it as I say it but uh, so maybe stay away from this one betting it um, Alex you're sort of doing that but in a different way yeah, I, I actually do put a little bit of money on all the picks I make on this show, and I've been betting five Big Ten games per week. That's the plan for this season, and there are only five Big Ten games this week. Really don't want to pick this one. Don't feel like I have a good read on, on anything, but I do think that um, it's going to be over 42 total points. I think a couple big plays, a couple big turnovers, and that and that over could hit pretty easily. Connor? So, look... 10 points is a lot uh, for Wisconsin, especially given the Sickos game that this will likely become. That gives me pause, but I'm still picking Wisconsin because, like, here's the thing. Illinois is still very, very bad. Um, I think Wisconsin's defense is, like, the chances of their defense scoring some points in this game are quite good. Um, That defense is still really, really good. Um, and they're going to be incredibly angry next week. Uh, The offense might be without Mertz. and that offense will still be bad. I do think, though, that like the chances of a still good, still talented offensive line finding a way to pave Illinois are is pretty good. So even with ten points being a lot here, um, I've got to go with the Badger. That's this is like this is still a power program that has only lost to like teams that are still playoff contenders. So I'm going to give them that credit at least. Dan, what about you? I, I I want to mention right now the implied score of this game is twenty six to sixteen, Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I, I'm going to go with Wisconsin. This feels like they're due for one. Um, they've got to they've got to get off the mat at some point. And Illinois still really really sucks. Um, and uh, yeah, they'll, they'll they'll probably run for like ten yards of carry and finally kind of like get that like you know that like sort of relief win um, that that teams tend to get. So yeah, I'm going with Wisconsin. Wisconsin minus ten. All right, next up on the docket um, is a, a really fascinating matchup. Uh, Penn State plus two and plus 110 on the money line, which is going to be relevant here. Uh, at Iowa, minus two and minus 131 on the money line. Over under, somehow a half point lower than Wisconsin Illinois at 41 and a half. Uh, goodness gracious. Uh, what, what Did I write that down wrong? I should double check while we're doing this. Uh, uh, my pick is the Penn State money line, although I'm now eyeing that over um, as well. Um, on, these are two very good defenses, but that that's just such a low total. Goodness gracious! Um, I, I I just I think these teams, I would say at worst for Penn State, are are very evenly matched, and I think Penn State is just better than Iowa. I'm very skeptical of Iowa's offense, um, especially their passing game with Spencer Petras, who really has not had to do much this year, and um, as much as I feel strange saying this, I'd have a significant amount uh, more confidence in Sean Clifford uh, as a quarterback. And with just a two-point spread, um, I find more value in the money line here. And Alex, I think you're thinking the same way. Yeah, Iowa is actually the only team I've bet uh, money lines on so far this year. I'm one and two. Uh, Indiana and Maryland were did not come through for me. But, uh, <laughs> no, they did not. They, did, they emphatically did not. But... Penn State, much more talented than both of those teams. Um, I think pretty much all of the commentary surrounding Iowa is that they're due for a regression to the mean. Um, Now that I think about it, I don't know if I love the idea of Sean Clifford going into a really hostile road environment and coming out (laughs) with a big win, but he did against Wisconsin. Um, That Wisconsin team turned out to be kind of bad, but yeah, I don't know. Let's roll the dice with the Nittany Lions, I guess. Not a rousing endorsement there for that, for that bet. No, definitely not. Um, Connor, I, I am double-checking this uh, total for you while uh, while you're going to be talking about your pick. Yes, oh, so... God, it has moved to 40 and a half. How? Whoa, okay. That's like, <laughs> oh, that is Lord. way too low for a non-sickos game. I don't know. That's Yeah, that's a very tempting over. So I will suggest people bet that. But also, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is a night game or not, but this is going to be Kinnick... This is the best Iowa team we've seen in a while, even if they have been quite lucky. I do think that defense is for real. They're probably not like force five turnovers a game real, but like Phil Parker's good. This is a good, again, extremely experienced defense in particular. Um, I'm a Penn State skeptic. I, I think Sean Clifford, it's hilarious that he's on track to be all first team all Big Ten because he kind of sucks, <laughs> I still think. But like he's been efficient, so I'll give him that. Um yeah, I mean, Penn State's good. I I won't take that away from them. I think they're a good team. They're a little bit overrated. I think both these teams are overrated, honestly. But, uh, you know, it's at Iowa, um, pretty close. So, yeah, man, I mean, uh, I guess I guess I'm a believer in the Kinnick magic here. Mm, I, I just want to mention now before, again, before Dan makes his pick, the implied score of this game uh, based on that 40.5 total is uh, 20 to 19. Or, Twenty-one to nineteen, yeah, twenty-one to nineteen. It's a disgusting, disgusting projected <laughs> score. It's it's just horrifying. Um, and I, I think that's going to play into Dan's pick here a little bit. 
Yeah, so um, I think I think that if I was really betting on this game, I'd probably just bet the over because that seems low for two functional offenses. To, like it feels like they could they could trip into more points than that. Um, so that's what that would be my real pick. But I think that um, I, if I if I'm picking the game, you know, like in terms of the spread, which I've tried to do for most of these because I think it's more fun. Um, I'm gonna go with Penn State because I have a general principle that when I feel like the better team is getting points, I just pick that, um, kind of regardless of, that, of how I feel like the matchups play out. Um, the matchups could be really interesting here because I feel like Iowa's, can, Iowa's defensive front's gonna dominate Penn State's offensive line, um, but Penn State's got more skill talent than Iowa has talent in the secondary. Um, and then, you know, I feel like Penn State's offense will probably just, or Penn State's defense will probably just dominate Iowa overall. So it could be interesting. Like this game could really go either way, but I do think that Penn State's the better team than Iowa. And, um, you know, Sean Clifford probably won't throw three picks, uh, but he totally could. And we could look very stupid um, on, or yeah, we, we could look bad on, on ne- next week's pod. I uh, I hate to say it, but I'm now, uh, th- th- thinking about it and i think i would stay away from that total <laughs> like I, I these defenses might actually be good enough to just uh turn this into an absolutely disgusting football game and uh penn state and iowa um have a history of some really horrific final scores um i believe there was a fiver in there at one point uh yeah um i don't know it, is this on the low or our sickos game of the week <laughs> I know Wisconsin and Illinois is horrifying. Yeah, but... for a top five matchup, it's about as sicko as you can get. And I think it's worth noting that there were a t- combined 26 points in the Penn State-Wisconsin game. So definitely possible. Yeah, if you, if you think that Iowa is a bit of a paper tiger and might actually be uh, more like Wisconsin uh, than, um, you know, maybe the AP ranking suggests, certainly. Um yeah, this this might be really really bad. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's bad. Um, let's just move on. Uh, this is our game. Michigan minus three at Nebraska. Uh, total on this one a whopping fifty one points. It sounds massive after the the last few games we just read off. Um, I am scared looking at this sheet because we all have the same pick, and you can probably guess what that pick is. Because we're taking Michigan with those points, minus three. We're all feeling very confident. Um, Dan, I think you're the most, you at least have the most skeptical, like, uh, you've written down more than the rest of us. (laughs) You at least tried to talk yourself out of it. Yeah, so um, I think this is probably the most complete team Michigan has played so far, uh, despite the fact that, you know, they have some pretty hilarious losses. Um, they should have beat Michigan State. Uh, they probably should have beat Illinois, <laughs> um, even though you know being in a game with Illinois at all is kind of like an indictment. But whatever. Yes. Um, it's a. Uh, this is the most con- complete team they played. I feel like you know it's it's a good offense when they're not shooting themselves in the foot. Um, Taylor, uh, Adrian Martinez has been good. It's it's a pretty sound defense, if not spectacularly talented. Um, and it's on the road at night in what's going to be a pretty raucous environment. So. I could look. I could definitely see Michigan losing this game if enough things go against them. Um, I, I don't think it's a shoe in, uh, mm-hmm. but three three seems low. I feel like Michigan is clearly the better team than Nebraska. Um, I feel like they're they're going to dominate uh, probably 
both lines, not dominate both lines of scrimmage, but they're going to win both lines of scrimmage. Um, you know, the, the whole quarterback run thing always gives me the heebie-jeebies again, you know, with Michigan um, and their history. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Michigan minus three because I think even though Nebraska feels like a complete team, they just without fail do something every game, every big game at least, that is like totally um, boneheaded and uh, inexplicable that loses them the game um, or, you know, widens the margin. And um, also their special teams suck, which, uh, you know, <laughs> could be very, um, you know, very important given that Michigan special teams are very good. I, I would also add that the uh, unit I'm probably least confident in on, on Nebraska is their offensive line. And that, uh, given what Michigan just did to Wisconsin, seems uh, foreboding. Um for the Huskers, um, and uh, also I, I, I just um, Nebraska seems much more likely to commit a, a game-changing turnover than Michigan. Um, eventually, that is going to come back to bite us because turnovers are rather random. But um, at least in terms of you know the way these offenses are constructed, who they rely on, how often the ball goes in the air, and how often that quarterback tends to put the ball in danger. Um, it, even if you think this is a, uh, more tight, a tighter matchup than, uh, you know, people certainly expected after that, uh, Nebraska, Illinois game, uh, I, I think I just feel more confident in Michigan being able to not have something totally mess up the game than, uh, Nebraska. And I think that is worth the three points, uh, given, I also think Michigan is just a better team, um, Anyone else got a pretty major thoughts on this game? Uh, Connor, you, you yeah. seem to be confident in a block. What, what game were you guys talking about? You're talking about this, like, <laughs> either, like, it's Michigan minus 15 or that, like, Nebraska is ranked in the top 15. Guys, like, Michigan is such a better team than this team. Michigan just destroyed Wisconsin at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Like, if, if Nebraska can... In a can, game where Wisconsin closes a favorite, we should point out. Uh, yeah, I mean, if Nebraska cannot get destroyed on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, that will be a huge upset in their favor. Like, yes, it's possible that Michigan could, like, uh, could screw this up. It's also possible that Ohio State only beats Maryland by four, but it's not very likely. I, I just, like, it'll be very surprising if a Michigan team that's playing as well as this team is... Uh, it doesn't like honestly beat these guys pretty handily. So minus three, I mean, I would take a much bigger line than that. Uh, we are coming for that corn and uh, we're going to take all of it. All right. Uh, Alex, uh, can I gauge your confidence level on this one? Cause uh, we've now, we've now gotten the others. Yeah. So I definitely think that Nebraska, I've, I've been saying this since the Oklahoma game that they have Detroit lions energy. Um, I've kind of been <laughs> banging that drum a little bit and, it's just been like this under Scott Frost. Like, I don't think that the Lions have like a legitimately terrible football team every season, though they definitely do this year. But they just find a way to lose games between big plays, backbreaking turnovers, key penalties, you name it. Um, Michigan's played pretty mistake-free so far, and I guess in football you generally kind of expect the road team to make more mistakes. But yeah, I think uh, Nebraska's more likely to shoot themselves in the foot in this one. The, the Lions did add longest field goal in NFL history to the list of way to lose games uh, just last week. So, you know, yeah. Um, I'm feeling those vibes definitely a bit from Nebraska, and uh, I would say I'm relatively confident that Michigan is going to win this game. And, yeah, uh, the three points is not a whole lot 
Um, yeah, it's that Michigan's good. I, I think we just have to, you know, keep saying it until uh, something shows otherwise. But uh, given what we've seen so far, Michigan's good. Um, and that feels good. Um, and now, uh, buddies, we all deserve a break. So uh, that's the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter at, at, at BucketProblem. Go to thebucketproblem.com and subscribe to the newsletter and the uh, bonus podcast. Uh, please rate and review us on Apple and Spotify and wherever else you can leave ratings and reviews. Uh, please hit the podcast to download. That is super important um, for supporting us. Uh, use the promo code BucketProblem at homefieldapparel.com and contact thebucketproblem at gmail.com for any advertising inquiries, comments, or questions. Thank you so much for listening to us. Have a great week.